Welcome to another edition of the Work and Play Podcast. I'm your host, Arielle Young, and I have my wonderful friend here, Ms. Aguateve, here to join me. Hey. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us. I'm so excited to have this conversation. Yeah, I'm excited too. We have spitball conversations all the time, so I'm pretty confident that we're just going to like have this conversation and like they're going to be able to keep up with us. <laughs> <I hope> so. <laughs> So I'm not even I'm not even worried. So would you like to um, introduce yourself to the folks? Yeah, sure. So I'm Agu. Um, I work in in retail at Target. I just actually got a new position um, at Target about two months ago. So I currently work in the retail space. It's a lead store merchant position, uh, which you know I'm not going to go into all that detail. But um, I know Ari actually because we both used to work at Target, so that was years ago in a past life. But I'm really excited to this podcast because I think we've been on just two very different journeys, even starting at Target. So just kind of picking up on where we've left off, how our journeys have gone differently and what's like what we've grown with and how we've learned and stuff. So yeah, all of that. So on the Work and Play podcast, I get to interview my friends on like all the cool stuff that they're doing, the highs and lows of their career journeys, and then learn a little bit about how they got to where they are. So I want to, of course, I think we should start where we both were at Target. So Target headquarters is where we met and we both were um, transplants. Mm -hmm. So it's funny how we just evolved into more like a family, I want to say. And that was really cool. So what was your journey to getting to Target? How did you even get there? Good question. So before I was at Target, I was a teacher actually for a few years. So I was in Houston for three years teaching middle school math. Um, and I learned a ton about myself teaching. Um, I think it's probably best for the kids and for me to leave education, but, um, I honestly wanted something completely different. So I actually got my degree in business management with an emphasis in finance. And so when I went to teach for America, cause that's the program I did, um, I thought I was only going to be there for two years, but I actually stayed on, stayed on an extra year because I enjoyed it so much. Mm. But in that last year, I feel like it took three years for me to realize, like, Hey, you know what? There's there's something in this career choice that I don't know if I can emotionally, mentally, spiritually, physically give. Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought I was hurting the kids. Um, and so I decided to leave that career and then go into what I actually got my degree in. So one of my mentors at um, the Teach for America program talked about Target and things like that. She had a connection and I knew that I wanted to, I don't think I could just go into any corporate company. Um, mm-hmm. And so I was like kind of looking at the list of options. Okay, so where, where can I go where I won't feel completely like I'm giving my, my life away to, to mm-hmm. the man kind of situation. <laughs> um, and so I decided that Target was the place to be and it's actually wild. Because even after the events of the last year, George Floyd's murder, like it's wild to to see how proud I am to still work at Target. Mm. I thought I was only going to be there a couple of years just to again start my corporate career, take some lessons, and move on. Yeah. And now that I've been in this company, like I made a good decision. But I can't imagine working at this point in time of my life, working for another corporate um, entity um, that doesn't care and. They're all corporate entities, right? They they only care so much. It's, it's it's about profit, but I I'm very proud to work at where I work. Yeah, that's a whew, you gave us a lot in one, but 
you know, what's funny is you made it, you got to Target, which is, it was a good move in, in the process. And I'm, so I got to, I got to Target through MLT. So I got a mm-hmm. chance to like interview Target before I really yeah. went. And I thought, okay, this culture is really cool. Cause you got the other companies, like the Booz Allens of the world, where like, we work 70 hours a week. And yeah. I'm like, uh-uh. nah. <laughs> um, so you found your way to Target, which was a really good fit. Mm-hmm. And then you said you had a list of like companies that you were looking at. So how did you make your decision? And then like, did you talk to anyone or was it off your like heart? How did you make that decision? I, I mean, honestly, like I didn't, I was sad and think much with my heart back then but like looking back it was all heart mm. it really was like I had a very short list a couple of companies that I was looking for but then also um and I and I hope that I'm never in this position again I wanted to get out of teaching so badly I was willing to like that's why my list was so short I was willing to look at okay so w- what is good about a couple of companies okay target mm-hmm. um like they don't seem like the, the trashiest one <laughs> <laughs> um, they seem like they have some good values and okay let me talk to a couple of people when I say a couple of people like two people okay um and <laughs> make sure that it, I just was comfortable in the environment and very yeah. similar to you where I um in those conversations they didn't seem like they were just working their their uh their employees to the core like it was uh okay so they seem to there seems to be some work-life balance, which I did not have as a teacher. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I was really looking for something that I did not have um, in my teaching in my teaching career, at least, like I said, work-life uh, situation. So that's that's how Target made the list and became the only one on the list. Yeah. <laughs> Ooh, now, they are, so there are two things that, that stand out for me at Target. Mm-hmm. And I have not necessarily found... I've created my own ecosystem here in Atlanta, yeah. but I, Target is the one who's at the foundation. One was definitely the corporate responsibility piece. Mm-hmm. The first thing, even though in my two and a half, three years at Target in different uh, roles, we only volunteer. I only got to do one real volunteer thing, mm. but I just thought like that was such a part of culture. Target's culture. Mm -hmm. And the other thing that I love is those coffee chats. So I feel like I I drank way more water than I did. What's your favorite thing working at Target? Ooh, my favorite (laughs) thing working at Target. The connections that I've made. Um, I mean, you even talk about how we met at Target and we became family. Um, So Target, as a company, great. I can speak about so many things, but it gives the opportunity to make genuine connections like at work, but then even outside of work. Yeah. I feel like every team that I've been on has been very different, but I don't think I've ever felt displaced out of place for the most part. Um, but there's like, I know of friends that have been in weddings because it's hard. It's just, it's, I think it's so community and relational, yeah. um, that it, it makes it such an easy place to work. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. Cause I don't think I could have sur- survived in Minneapolis without Target genuinely. <laughs> and guys, if you have not been in Minneapolis, so the, the one thing I hated was the snow. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, girl. That's probably <laughs> That's the worst there. thing. And if it wasn't for you guys, I don't think I would have made it either. Mm-hmm. So thank you so much for being in my life. Yeah. It's been, you are honestly, so everybody that I've had on the podcast so far have been part of my work and play journey. Yeah. But I just told a story. <laughs> I did this. <laughs> <laughs> About how I used to. I was natural and I used to come to work with those like pink curls so I would wake up in the morning take my little my curls out and then I would get to work like I don't know if this this turned out the way it was supposed to and you would literally say meet me in the bathroom at whatever time if you had a meeting like I got a meeting but meet me in the bathroom and then you would literally come and like take apart my curls and I had to make it work try like okay so we gonna oh my goodness yes hopefully no one walks in 
So when you think about so when you think about work and play, that when I think about work and play, I think about those moments. I think about the moments that we're working from home and we're like spitballing philosophical ideas. Mm -hmm. But like, what comes up for you when you think work and play? I think exactly that. Mm -hmm. Um, It's how like I can like with the relations that I've had, even outside of Target, just like the. The people that I, the friends that I have from college, we can kind of go into this kind of like, I think of what's called like the Venn diagram, mm-hmm. where we have the work and the play. Yes. And then literally like, you can just kind of go in between the lines and talk about, we can talk about ra- racism and anti-racism. We can talk about our work environments. We can talk about what's happening personally, our dating lives. And it really just, just kind of go, yeah, just meshes <laughs> in and out. Um like the conversations I think with my friends are just amazing. Um, yeah. And so, yeah, that work and play balance, yeah. um, but then also like bringing like work home and then home to work and then yeah. all that kind of fun stuff, if that makes any sense. Absolutely. <laughs> there's, there's in those, in the work and play, there's balance, yeah. there's overlap, mm-hmm. there's, you know, meshing, yeah. like all of that stuff for me. Um, I'm building a life that is work and play. Mm -hmm. And so this is an example of me just being able to enjoy my friends, but even have like life changing, world changing conversations. Yeah. While I get paid. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like that's real. That is so real. So it's it's wild that you say that because I remember a point in my life, it was actually when I first uh, got to Target because teaching was so exhausting, there was like no delineation between my work and my play. Yeah. Um, all my friends were teachers. <laughs> all my teachers were my friends. Um, and so I I wanted a very clear cut line. It's part of the reason why I went to corporate America. Like, okay, I want to be able to leave my work at home. That's not what happened. <laughs> I want to be able to leave my work at home. I leave my computer and then... And then my, again, I got to Target and my friends became my, my coworkers. Yeah. Um, and so it, it really is about that balance where it sticks out. Like yeah. that balance of like, how do you have those conversations? How do you, again, like, I forgot exactly what she said, but just like that mixing, but feeling comfortable, like in whatever balance and mix you have in your individual life. Yeah. Um, and that's what I've had to learn because there's going to be overlap. Mm-hmm. It's going to be overlap no matter if, what. I think there should be overlap. It's mm-hmm. not always going to be because especially if you're rigid, mm-hmm. like, mm-hmm. no, work and play separate. That's real. But I think there should be, and I think that makes work much more livable. Impactful, even. Mm. If you care anything about what you do, you will bring it home. Absolutely. Those emotions, like the paper, like whatever, is yeah. going to come home. Absolutely. You're going to talk to it about your partner, talk to it with your partner, your friends, whatever the case may be. Absolutely. If it is compartmentalized, I just feel like... I think as women, and the reason I mention this, I'm not going to make this a feminist conversation, but I think we just talked about how like men compartmentalize and women don't. Mm-hmm. I think if we were to go to work and be like, let me just leave that at home, and then yeah. we don't even get to come home and talk about it, mm-hmm. I feel like that would be a little draining because there's your work is like a part of everything. Yeah. So, you know, I don't know. I, I, I appreciate being able to do that. And it's funny that you say like, you started this journey mm-hmm. as a teacher, and then you thought you were going to make that, that delineation. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know what I didn't know? I didn't what? know you had a business management degree and a finance degree. Mm-hmm. Emphasis in finance. Emphasis in finance. Mm-hmm. So, And what that means is really just I took more classes than, because we didn't have a minor in finance. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I just took more classes to get like that grounding in finance. Yeah. Um, but I didn't want my full degree to be in finance. So, yeah. But what did you think you were going to do? 
Like when you when you got your degree, what did you think you what what did you think life was gonna be Girl, like? At baby? the age of twenty, I was like, let me pick something that I <laughs> that I think makes sense. Um, I enjoyed business. I, I like the idea of business, but I honestly hadn't had a lot of experience in it. So I did internships in high school, mm-hmm. which I don't think a lot of people do. Um, so I did internships I in in high school. Um, one major one stood out, um, but it was like the business side of a law firm. Um, and I, and I, I couldn't even pinpoint exactly why I liked it, but I knew I liked being in that world. Um, and so that's where, like, when I chose my major, it really was like, okay, so I know I, I don't want to do, <laughs> I don't want to do, um, science. I don't want to do anything when it comes to literature, writing, mm-hmm. and I, I enjoy the business. Like, let me d- dive in a little bit deeper and then I can get the experience at the college and see if I, if I really like it. Mm-hmm. That really was my thought process. It really wasn't like, I didn't have any kind of plan as I was picking out my degree and what I was going to do with either the business side or the finances. Yeah. I just knew I liked numbers. Mm-hmm. I mean, I felt like, we, <laughs> you know, I like numbers. Like, I mean, I'm decent at it, right? But, um, yeah, so I just knew that I enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I wanted to see where that was going to take me. Mm-hmm. No force, <laughs> no force I'd be on that. But the thing about it is you're so, so socially conscious. So I'm mm-hmm. curious from that law side, did mm. you pull anything back from that law side that intrigued you about social awareness, legal Ooh. issues, anything? Not from that law firm. Mm-hmm. Not, I would say I, I would call myself conscious. Thank you. Um, <laughs> socially conscious. But I would actually say a lot of that came from, I don't, a lot of that was just, because I want to say it's learned experiences. But I wouldn't even say it came from my familial, like my like my family life or anything like that. I think it was just seeing what I saw around me, being aware, and then when I got to Teach for America, mm-hmm. like being in a whole new because it's not like a okay, so just where I'm from, yeah, um, or just like, yeah, just like those friendship situations back home. It's like oh shit, this is this is like everywhere. Um, yeah. and I was so, I, I was so young and naive. And so going into the program, it really was like, I, I can't leave this behind. I mean, even like when I went to the corporate field, um, I, I was giving so much as a teacher and I think like I was constantly giving, giving back, yeah. um, that when I went, I, I was like, I can't leave education behind. Yeah. So when I went up to Minneapolis, I was like, okay, so where can I volunteer? Like, where can I be a tutor? Where can I be a mentor? Um, and so like just in a different in a different aspect but yeah i mean the socially conscious part the 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 empathy and the and the feeling tied to a community never stopped did you get a chance to do very many like volunteer activities or teaching activities when you got when you actually got to minneapolis so the within the first month i was volunteering mm. at, a, at a high school um it was over north i don't remember the high school that i started at it's been so long but um i i tutored and mentored there for a couple of years and then I've done different programs on and off um so pretty pretty consistent but different ones um but yeah always in the the tutoring mentoring kind of avenue that is so interesting like as much as we talk about everything and as like (laughs) you remember when we were in Greece and I don't know I don't remember what we were talking about but Mm -hmm. it was it was a racial awareness type of conversation and I said something about somebody oh maybe it was like Trayvon Martin you were like wait you have an opinion it was like, more like not like oh you have an opinion like oh Ariel never has an opinion but like it was more like oh Ariel you're passionate about this where did this come from mm-hmm. and so as much as we talk about everything I think we're much more socially conscious and volunteer oriented mm-hmm. than like not but we more so like gel on the data analytics piece and the analytical yeah. side. So I'm just that's just really surprising to me. Like honestly, it's just like wow. 
Like we've never volunteered together. Like I don't we think it. And and that's another thing. You sought out volunteer experiences mm-hmm. when you got to Minneapolis. Yeah. I think my awareness as a volunteer, as a citizen of the community, probably didn't happen until I got to Delta. Mm-hmm. I feel like it was like shut out. I remember that. That's so interesting. So you've all it's like you've always been this person, but we never talked about it. Probably until that point in Greece where you were like, wait, maybe something and you were like, oh, I can talk to you about this kind of stuff. And then we started spitballing about like everything, like, you know, just racial issues and where where our our cultures are going and things Mm -hmm. like that. So I'm just that's just me for me just to say that's really interesting. And I'm going to get into that a little bit more. Like, I think we should volunteer together next time you come. Maybe we can do like a volunteer event. Oh, I'm so down. That would be I'm so down. Okay. Okay, putting a pin in it. Let's just remember <laughs> that we're gonna do a volunteer event, and if um, in a city near you, we'll probably either be here or Houston, depending. I don't know, but um, more to come. <laughs> so tell me about Teach for America a little bit, because mm-hmm. you took a little detour. You said you were interested in business. Yeah, you went into Teach for America, and I'm I'm assuming there's personal and professional development in there. Mm-hmm. And so now that is you're like almost a decade removed. Mm-hmm. I hate the date, you girl. <laughs> you know, people oh God, don't date. I'm a couple years from a decade, so come on. <laughs> <laughs> then what would you say personal development looks like? Mm-hmm. And then how would you say that professional development helps you in your career today? Mm. I, I didn't even realize how many transferable skills that I took with me moving from teaching to corporate America. There's, I mean, a lot of my uh, TFA 10 core members, 2010 core members, uh, now I'm dating myself. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but um, a lot of us have like gone to get MBAs and like some have become teachers, um, have gone to, to med school, some have continued teaching. So I think when it comes to the personal development, like, well, I'll talk about Teach for America specifically in my experience, but um, we went through a training camp that was it was somewhere around six to eight weeks. And then when we actually got to our city, it was consistent development, public speaking, like how to interact with people. I mean, these were little people, like (laughs) these were, these were younger people, but essentially you have to be able to connect and empathize Mm -hmm. and be able to showcase that like, Hey, I care about you to the point where I want you to learn and then be able to diversify your, your, your teaching. Um, because not everyone's going to pick up on everything as fast and like little things like that, that I didn't realize I was able to use when I got to corporate America, like my public speaking skills, they need some work, but I, they probably would need a lot more work if I hadn't taught every day in front of 30 to 45 kids on a consistent basis. Nice. If I wasn't able to say, okay, like change the, the, the verbiage or whatever the case may be for my audience. Okay. I'm talking to principals. Now I'm talking to 11 year olds. Like, how do I interact differently? Like, how do I pick up on cues, social cues and things like that? So, I mean, it was consistent training. We had, I don't even remember the, the cadence of it, but I want to say when we first started, it was maybe every, I want to say it was maybe every couple of weeks. And then um, when we became like a two, our second year, the program in second year, I believe it went to every month. Okay. Um, but then there was like also like a mentor-mentee relationship. So everything about it was consistent development how do you hone your skills as a teacher how do you just hone skills period yeah. um and then because all of my friends were teach for america people at that time in houston um which like honestly an amazing foundation of friends amazing group of people 
like it was also relational built in. Yeah. So consistent, consistent um, connection building and information sharing. That is actually one thing that kudos to that that group and, and to teach America in general is mm-hmm. they don't want you to reinvent the wheel. That is mm-hmm. one thing I learned and I took away with me. Like, why am I starting from scratch? But it really is how do you share? How do you take what someone else has done and innovate it and make it make it usable for yourself in your classroom? Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, yeah, the whole experience was amazing. Um, pro- good and bad, ups and downs. I always people always ask me when you came from teaching to corporate, like what was the biggest difference? And of course, breaks. <laughs> no summer vacation, <laughs> like no spring break. But then also for me, it was yo the. Uh, in teaching, the highs are so high. Like when you see a student get it, like I know, like it's been so long, but when you see a student get it, like the joy that I feel, like genuine, just like elation, like I'm just so excited. Mm. But the lows are so lows. I remember a teacher friend, uh, she, we were talking after a long, hard day at work, and she was like, sometimes. She would pull up to the school, and before she can get out of her car, she would cry. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, because it just pulls so much out of you, and you care so much. Mm-hmm. And it's like, you can't let this go. But I got to corporate America, and I was like, my bad days, I was like, yo, this is easy. <laughs> <laughs> like, this is all? But then the highs weren't as high. So I didn't feel as fulfilled when I had those accomplishments. So I had to, like, seek them elsewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> As an impact-driven person mm-hmm. and an impact-driven employee, I think that I'm hearing a lot more of like where your passion lies and then, because we're so cerebral about a lot of things, mm-hmm. but it really is a pleasure to see you light up about talking about teaching mm-hmm. in a way that I've never gotten a chance, I've never got a chance to see it, of course, Yeah, and I've also never gotten a chance to, um, we don't talk a lot about it. Like, yeah. I think we could probably share more stories about me also teaching at the Covenant at Covenant House and mm-hmm. like what that feel like, feels like because I, I honestly know what it feels like for that light bulb to click mm-hmm. and that's I think that's been the driving force of why I do what I do yeah even if it doesn't make sense I'm always chasing impact because I know mm. what it feels like and I know mm. that I cannot I can't sacrifice that so. Thank you so much for sharing that. Yeah. And I'm curious, like in the beginning of your story, you talked about you decided to leave because you were doing the the youth a disservice, right? Mm-hmm. And at some point you felt like you weren't at least providing as much value as you were before. So mm-hmm. um, and I'm curious if you could paint the picture of what that environment looked like for you. Because I, I know Teach for America puts you in like low socioeconomic mm-hmm. schools and then on a day-to-day Tell us a little bit more about the personal development from a pressure or an environmental mm-hmm. standpoint. Mm-hmm. So, it, I don't know why the law of diminishing returns is is what's coming to mind. So, in my thirty year teaching, it I feel like my my test scores were still pretty pretty high. It it wasn't that I felt like I was doing the use of your service quite yet, but. I remember having conversations with so many teachers that had been there for 20, 30 years, and I saw it in their eyes. I saw mm. the bitterness, and I saw mm. how they talked about the students. Students that I'm sure, when they first started, 
they loved and they appreciated. And now it was just like, I'm getting this check so I can retire. Mm. Um, so I would actually say that was probably the most impactful thing for me. Like those, those, those teacher interactions, um, those old heads where they were trying to teach me something like, yo, if you can get out now. Mm. And, and I, I won't say I regret it ever. Um, but I, I do question, you know, sometimes like looking back, did I make the right decision? Um, but it was more so that kind of pressure, so pressure on myself where I didn't want to do disservice on these. It wasn't necessarily coming from the school district or Teach for America. It was more so, I think, honestly, they would have kept me, like, because my because I was doing decent, right? Mm-hmm. They would have kept me like, oh, you, you don't love the kids? Keep going. And that's where I'm like, okay, this is where I draw the line for me. Mm-hmm. Um, because I don't want to look at the kids the way these other teachers are looking at the kids. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, so I would say it was definitely, it was less about pressure from any other outside source and more so for me, um, making a decision that I thought was healthy for myself and mm-hmm. for the people around me. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And, and now mm-hmm. it makes sense that if internally you lose that sense of empathy and excitement mm-hmm. and passion for what you do, it doesn't matter how smart you are, or how well you know the curriculum, or how well you can get them to pass the test. Yeah. If I don't love you, then we're not going to connect. And I don't want to get, ever get to a place where I don't love you, or I'm not interested, or I come into work and I disdain yeah. your existence. Yeah. So I get it. Especially when it's like, these kids, even if you can't feel it at, at that moment, they're looking to you for guidance. Yeah. And so if I lose this empathy, if I lose this this care... Like this impactful career is no longer an impactful career. Yeah. And for me, I was doing it because of the impact. Mm-hmm. So it didn't make any sense for me to continue if I felt like I was going to be scorned. Yeah. Um, and so I wanted to get out before I got to that level. Yeah. Well, I mean, in my opinion, I feel like after doing so many stints <laughs> in different, like the homeless shelter and things like that, I really, my philosophy is, you know, as you know, radical as it might sound, poor people can't help poor people, and not mm-hmm. just not just financially poor, yeah. but spiritually poor people can't help poor people, especially if you're in a your cup is so empty, mm-hmm. and I just barely have some dust in mine. Like, yeah. it's it's not a productive. So I, as you explore that thought, and then even that sometimes when it's that that did I do the right thing. You know, I just want to be that vibe on the left shoulder to be mm-hmm. like, yeah, I think so. Because now that you're in corporate and now that you are more so um, inclined to take part in self-care mm-hmm. and you're more financially stable than you were as a teacher, yeah. how do you imagine bringing that impact part of your yourself into your job? Ooh, that's a really good question. Um that's a good question, and I don't I don't know if I have the the perfect answer. Uh, what I will say is, so me and my my best friend that we're currently working on a project, and and one of the ways that we talk about, so me and her are both Nigerian Americans. Um, I was born in in New York. She was born in Nigeria, but moved here when she was pretty young. Um, but there's we, we've talked about how even though we're Nigerian Americans, we have Black American friends, like. And we have um, Jamaican friends and we have Liberian friends. And, and how do we connect? And um, one of the ways we thought about it is through food. Um, and so I, I, I think that the, the emotional connection on how you make an impact is really important. 
And so through those conversations, um, we decided that we're going to start up a business. Um, and so I'm in uh, the groundwork is not fully laid, so I don't want to, <laughs> I don't want to go into too much detail. Um, but we, we were so excited because we relate through food and I fuck black, um, the black diaspora relates through food. Um, and it's, like we think, like I mean, again, we, there's food deserts, and and honestly, like when George Floyd was murdered, and I had to drive farther than I would like, not even that far, uh, to get to go to a grocery store, and the, the North community, Minneapolis, like the the closest hub foods was closed. So, like when you think about transportation, like they can't get to a, a grocery store that easy and so there were all these food drives and things like that and and now I feel like I'm kind of talking in circles but either way like through a lot of those conversations we decided that we want to impact the food and community and connectedness mm. um and so we're starting something off where we're both passionate about it and we're again connecting some connecting a people that I feel like sometimes it's just so disconnected based off of culture mm. and it's like we have so many similarities like how can we tie this together um, I think we've talked about this so much, like you as a black American and me as a black American, but from um, Nigerian parents, like what are our similarities? Yeah. And we connected on so many different levels. Um, and I feel like not everyone does that. Um, and that's actually one of the things that I admire about us and our relationship is that we're sweet, so easily find our commonalities and um, as opposed to our differences. And, and we seek those out and we both value the connection. And so, again, I know I haven't, I feel like I'm talking in code. I haven't gone into too much detail, but I'm really excited on the impact that that can make for um, a community that we're working in. Yeah. I I don't, I mean, I know we don't know the business venture, so that's cool, but I don't think that you left enough out for that so that we don't understand because one, you're right. We do, um, as black, the black diaspora connect on food, right? Mm -hmm. So any initiative that brings us to the table with foods in mind mm-hmm. like I'm even though you haven't shared much, much about the idea I'm yeah. already envisioning you know how I did 90% of Sunday dinner the other day <laughs> <laughs> first time ever <laughs> I feel like even that type of meal um the the connectedness from creating a vegan meal mm-hmm. that has so much flavor and mm-hmm. as an African American person to cook something that is more cultural than in our community. I feel like most of the stuff that we did, like spicy cabbage, um, mac and cheese. curry potato, mac and cheese. Mm-hmm. I think like that is a dish that is a conversation piece in itself. Yeah. And then it allows us to sit and break bread together. Yeah. And then you also mentioned the food desert, desert, the food scarcity aspect within low low income communities. So being able to, as corporate citizens who have the resources, who have the the skill you know what i mean to bring that to a community mm-hmm. whether it's in you know stores whether it's in events however you wanted to like wrap that up yeah i can totally see how these concepts mesh and then how we can bring it to those who don't have it yeah and to bring it all back as a corporate employee i feel like you have now have the luxury to now finance a project like this mm-hmm. and the skill set to mm-hmm. strategize a project like this mm-hmm. and the resources and human capital to put something like this together in a way that if I were to like extrapolate your career from Teach for America, who knows what type of impact you would have been able to make from a teacher's perspective, mm-hmm. but you're certainly making use of it with your, your thought leadership 
as it stands. Yeah. So I'm ready for you to pull the trigger because you know. <laughs> I'll keep you updated, but I'm excited. I'm really excited about it. And, and I 100% agree. Like when it comes to human capital, when it comes to experience, when it comes to just financial security, like spend the money that I might have to spend now um, on this venture, I'd have been extremely scared, nervous to take anything out of my account because my financial life has not been stable. And I think that's a lot of like, talking to a lot of my friends, we've had a lot of the same experiences. So mm-hmm. I felt like I needed to be in a position, which you don't have to be, but I felt like I needed to be in a position where it's like, okay, you know what? I can take a hit here. I can take a hit there. I can sacrifice here, there. Mm-hmm. And then also with everything that's been going on, I felt like I want to do, I'm, I'm willing to sacrifice that much more, mm-hmm. step out of the box that much more, push myself that much more. And then having the backing of of friends who are also in those those more stable emotional financial positions, yeah. like knowing that I have that support system, yeah. um, which a lot of people don't have, mm. um, and it's sometimes I got to remind myself of that. But yes, in a much better place doing it now than I have been at any other point in my career. That's beautiful. You know, I kind of want to get into the fact that. So I don't even, you know, a lot of my friends are. Um, African American in a sense, they're either from Ghana, Sierra Leone, Nigeria, mm-hmm. and they're American, right? Mm-hmm. But uh, so often we do, we connect so well that the differences that I find with my other friends don't even even exist. Like even when I say like I might say my African friends, and then I go, oh yeah, you know, mm-hmm. I go is um is Nigerian. So I'm somewhere in the realm of just wondering how you. And because you were born in America, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm assuming a lot. So as I say the question out loud, <laughs> <laughs> how did you become <clears throat> so passionate about the African-American experience from a non-Native um, mm. African perspective? How did you become so concerned about that? And then where does that fit within like your story and how does it differ from sure. your circle? I know it might be a loaded question. Really good question. Um, so I was Nigerian first. I grew up in a Nigerian household. My parents spoke Yoruba. I went to Nigerian church. But I remember as in, like as being a kid, like it's wild. Like being in elementary school, I look for the black people, not the Nigerians, the black people. So I look for the commonality of like, okay, so the darker, like the people with the dark skin, they can relate to me in whatever way, in whatever capacity. As, as an eight-year-old, I didn't know what I was doing. It wasn't intentional, but there was some kind of connectedness, right, that I knew that I felt. And so like whenever you speak, when I was speaking to these black American kids who had grown up in black American households, not necessarily Nigerian households, like it didn't feel any different than when I was connecting with my Nigerian friends at church. And so I think the the more connectedness you feel and the more you can relate, empathize, hang out with, like all that fun stuff, um, the like less borders, boundaries there are. And so I didn't see differences. It's it's so it's wild to say, but like again, I was Nigerian first, then I was black next, and all the black people were the same to me. <laughs> I didn't speak Yoruba. So when I went to school, it was like, okay. okay, the black people, okay, cool. Amanda, <laughs> whatever, you know? Like, okay, we're, we're like, that, that was my crew. And I, I think also because I will say that I grew up in, a, in an area that was majority white. 
And so it was, they are way closer to me than these people over there. Mm. The, and so, um, and then I would also say a lot, large population of my friends when I was, when I was young, the Nigerian Americans were considered themselves black. Mm. Like it, and I don't know if I'm, I'm explaining this the, the way that I want to, but it, it's so much easier to see blackness than it is to see Nigerian. To see blackness and this to see Niger- uh, Jamaican or whatever the case may be. And so that was what I used to create my circle as even a child. And it's consistent. It was, it has continued since. Um, and so I think like similar to us, like I look at the similarities. I remember going to UGA and like the black community is mixed. You had the ASU, the mm-hmm. African Student Union, you had the BSU, the Black Student Union, but like my friends were just hung with black people. Yeah, they were Jamaican. They were Black American. They were Nigerian. They were just they were black. Um, mm-hmm. I'm not sure if I'm answering your question, so let you let me know. You absolutely are. Yeah. You absolutely are. Um, to start here, I want to just say like the awareness that we are all black. Yeah, it's not. I wish it was so much more prevalent among all of us. Yeah, and that there wasn't so much differentiation between mm-hmm. us because that right there. Um, I, I feel like where it comes from, and, and correct me if I'm wrong or add anything that I'm missing, it sounds like you grew up with a foundation as a Nigerian woman. You mm-hmm. had the tradition, you had the spiritual foundation, and even the familial sense of a being a Nigerian woman. Mm-hmm. And then you were socialized as an, Ameri- an African-American kid or just a black kid um, in the way that it sounds like maybe there's nuance in the way that you were raised to that there was no differentiation that we're Nigerian, they're black, because uh, what what happened when you went into school, mm-hmm. you just identified with you know one skin color, and then two, I'm sure the dialect and the values came mm-hmm. up somewhere in mm-hmm. there. I'm sure. So it all makes sense. I I feel like um, and this is more of a comment. So tell me what yeah. you think because I think. I have more conversations with um, first-generation African um, immigrants who um, were born in, in in Africa, maybe came over in their teens or mm-hmm. younger younger years, and they grew up with the sense that okay, I'm African, they're black, mm-hmm. and I think there was a pinnacle moment in a lot of my friends' lives where they're like, oh, I'm black too, or at least they yeah. see me as black. I was gonna say that's what it is. That's what I've noticed at least because majority of my um, first generation friends um, are very similar to me. Where it's like they either group in black communities, so it's like okay, we just all we just all black or whatever the case may be, or they group in majority white communities, and it was like okay, so who do I identify with most? The black people, but I I do think that um, I do think I forgot where I was going. That pinnacle moment where you realize you're black. Yeah. So like a cup, I have a couple of friends that like got here a little bit later and they had those moments where it was like, yo, it doesn't really matter how I identify myself. I can still identify my, in my home as, or my mind as Nigerian first or Jamaican first, but everybody else is looking at you like you're black. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So you can see the differences. You can point the differences. You can try to distinguish yourself. And that's great if you want to distinguish yourself and say like, Hey, you know what? I'm proud to be Nigerian. But when they pull you over, 
or when they see you in line at the grocery store, all they see is blackness. Yeah. And I do think that is a life changer. That is a, it's a mindset shift mm-hmm. and it definitely plays into how you walk around, like how you see the world, how, like who do you identify with? Mm. Cause you're probably going to still identify more with the black Americans because that's how the world is treating you as such mm-hmm. than maybe the white people across the street. And I feel like whenever like having these conversations with some of my friends that have gotten here a little bit later, I think the the latest that I would say most of my friends have gotten here is like middle school. Yeah. Um, but even then it's like it's interesting to hear them talk about their their mindset shifts and how they just identify as just sometimes black first mm-hmm. sometimes and then Nigerian. That's interesting. So they wouldn't say it like that. They they would never actually admit that. But <laughs> in reality, their experiences like they they will as they share. It's like okay, yeah, you you're black. Like, That's helpful black, to like. know. <laughs> yeah. Well, it, well, what you just helped me understand is, um, I know what I know because I'm so intimate with my friends. Mm-hmm. And maybe the the African people that I don't know, it might seem like they don't know that they're black. But maybe they just want to allow themselves to even come to like have have that type of open discussion. Mm-hmm. So I'm curious that I'm, I'm curious what you think about. So a lot of people's point of reference of like, oh, I'm black, sometimes hinges on some type of traumatic event. Oh like, my god! Oh, somebody pulled me over, yeah. or oh, you, I experienced racism for the first time. And I don't think, I mean, hey, that's gonna happen. And for those who that takes. For them to come over to the fact that we are all black, Mm -hmm. hey, that's your journey. Yeah. But for the people who don't have to experience something so traumatic, what do you think would be a good way to introduce us all, bring us Mm -hmm. all to the table and help us have that conversation without it being so traumatic? Or do you feel like it needs to be something traumatic? That is a great question. Bobby, what's happening? Honestly, I don't know. I don't think I've had conversation with someone that and it it happened a traumatic experience so I would love to say like it doesn't have to be traumatic and I I think it takes a lot of growth and empathy and and being able to like listen being open-minded not I'd love to say that I think that majority of humans are like that but Mm -hmm. I I don't I think that it takes experiences sometimes those hard experiences like open your eyes to see how people see you to 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 be able to say like you know what like I was Nigerian, I thought I was different, but when that cop stopped me and he looked at me like he was like I was a regular Black American, um, it's like not now I see what they go through, you know, yeah. and it's like it merges those experiences like the Black American and now the, for example, Nigerian American, whatever the case may be, um, until they look at your name and maybe question, okay, so is this person African, but. Yeah, so I I would love to say that it's just conversations mm-hmm. and just like hanging out with the other side. <laughs> um, yes, but I sometimes feel like it really is like being forced to be put in the other person's shoes, and yeah. not in a positive way. Not in a positive way. Yeah, has to be jarring. Has to be back on top of the head. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I also will say this one thing, um, and I hate to generalize, and so I'm going to try not to, but I would say. The bring being brought to the table, um, and I think ugh, I, keep, I don't want to say both sides, but both sides. I think like Black Americans and then like either African Caribbean or whatever the case may be, immigrants. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like 
they dis- I also think they distinguish themselves because of lack of acceptance on both sides. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, like, if in this perfect world, in this utopia, like, we were having um, these conversations or we were working towards a way to kind of bridge that gap without these jarring experiences, it really would be open your mind, open up your ears, open up your heart to the other side. Yeah. As simple as that. As simple as that sounds. Yeah. yeah. Over a plate of food. Honestly, I was th- like, I didn't say it, but in my mind, I was thinking over some dinner, some effo, some Nigerian food, jollof fries with some fried chicken, mac and cheese, collard greens, like mix those cultures together. Have some curry goat, whatever. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. I'm mm-hmm. here. I'm here with it. So, Agu, you are the epitome of a woman who... You're, you're not your career. You're not just your job. You are so much more than that. And in this whole overlap of work and play, I get to see, I get to enjoy your business side mm-hmm. in all of our friendship conversations. Yeah. And um, that's what allows me to even be able to talk to you about my entrepreneurial endeavors without you being like, for, without there being any type of differentiation. And so because I know that part of you, mm-hmm. I, I, I just, I... I guess I benefit from just that side of both being inside of you. I don't know if that's making any sense, but I'm curious to know for your coworkers uh-huh. who oh don't know this side <laughs> of you, right? Uh-huh. How do you bring your personal self to the corporate American space? How Ooh. does all this stuff fit within? And, and and if you could tell us what you do and give us a day in a life. I know, you know, just okay. a, a bit. So the first, first question, how do I bring my personal self? Mm-hmm. Um, that's a hard question for me because I've, I've actually struggled with this. Um, I've actually struggled with bringing, bringing myself to work and feeling I would be accepted for who I am. I mean, the biggest thing is I'm an introvert and I, and, and when I, one of the things that I struggled with coming to Target is it's not, it was not an introvert friendly environment. Um, and so it was very much so the extroverts, like who can socialize and be the loudest and the the most heard, um, mm-hmm. who can, yeah, just just talk about anything, anytime. And I was like very much like analytical. I like to okay think through my questions, and and I'm not gonna be the person like waving my hand to talk at a meeting. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that was really hard for me. I would say it's been multiple teams accepting me. Um, multiple teams pushing me to be better mentors um, that have just said, Agu, what you're doing, like that validation. I hate to say it, but I need that validation. Um, and so like on my current team, I bring up issues that I would have felt a lot more uncomfortable bringing up a few years back. So, I mean, growth in multiple aspects. Mm-hmm. Um, but for example, just like this right here, social justice. I would have felt probably a little, when I say a little, a lot uncomfortable talking about this when I first got to Target. Yeah. Like, I'm the only black person on the team. Should I be talking about this? Mm-hmm. Um, but now it's any, I, I bring literally my full self to work. Mm-hmm. Like, um, I struggle with things like depression. And so, like, I'll tell my boss, you know what? I'm not having a good day. I'm going to be off today. Um, so it's little things like that, being vulnerable, being open, allowing my boss, my coworkers to show me that they they can't handle it or they can't um, accept me, whatever the case may be, before I decide to pull back. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So just, 
I don't even know if that's a great answer, but just mm-hmm. literally just like putting it on the table, um, showing up how I show up um, in whatever mindset that I'm showing up in and allowing, like showing that, vocalizing that, and then allowing other people to kind of decide how they want to to relate to me um, mm-hmm. in that way. Um, but yeah, I would say my mentors have done an amazing job, like calling up my strengths, building up that confidence, um, giving just the, helping me realize like what I have to bring to the table. Um, and that's taken a lot of work. Um, but that validation I think is key for me. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I'll tell you like, even like the last two years, I, I had, um, I had a mentor that uh, was in the field and, um, we had it, our conversations were monthly work related and, um, it turned into just development conversations. Like, not intentionally. It just turned into, okay, so what are you doing with your career? Why? How? When? Mm-hmm. What? Um, and I was, I remember, like, at first it was kind of just like, okay, okay. I got to I gotta not be prepared for an interview every month. Um, but, like, it just, it turned conversational. And it was, he actually moved to headquarters. And so he was, uh, he was a VP in the field. He moved to headquarters about a year ago. And happened to be um, one of the VPs on my team. And it was like that, it was it was this perfect connection where it was you were uh, someone who knew Target because you worked at Target, but in a very different area. Um, you normally mentored senior directors and I was a couple levels down from that. And you gave me the time and the energy, which I so appreciated. And then when he gave, came to head, headquarters, he became my advocate. Um, he became my advocate. I would like talk to this person, do this. And again, it's that consistent validation that shows support that has helped me like even just open my mind to things like starting a business outside of Target. Yeah. Um, yeah. So am I answering your question? Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. <laughs> it, it just, it makes so much sense that <clears throat> God would place someone in your mm-hmm. life that um, gives you that validation on a professional level because you are also the epitome of the example that, one, you have to do your job well, mm-hmm. and then they'll be able to listen to you in other other realms, mm-hmm. right? Um, and because you can do forecasting oh, and in stocks and inventory, because we haven't even talked about what you do. We're going to have to do a part oh, yeah. two. Okay. Um, but because you know inventory, in stocks, you know, markdown, sales, all of those yeah. things, we haven't, that's not even who you are. And I think it's you've not. given yourself, you know, in your journey of being an introvert, mm-hmm. you've given yourself time to just get really good at your craft. And that's mm-hmm. your tool. And so now that that's your tool, um, I think, and I say this a lot, I say this for some people and I recognize this, that now that you've gotten your tool down pack, you, you know, your skill, you have your, your strength, you can get paid as much as you want for that. Yeah. But I think the validation that is pulling your thoughts out is mm-hmm. what you really are going to make a difference with. Yeah. Because, um, you, you do your job well, you know, hands behind your back. But it's your 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 thoughts and the the things that you're even trying to weave together, these concepts that I have all the time, but I wish they were had more incorporated because I left corporate. I'm like, y'all gonna have to get that from somebody else. <laughs> and I just feel like, and I just feel like having someone like you as an employee mm-hmm. who is one tapping into their strengths and then tapping into their values mm-hmm. at a 
at a company like Target where they yeah. appreciate that type of um, opinion and you do your job well, so you make the company money. Mm-hmm. It's a win-win, bottom yeah. line, and social justice. I think that everything is com- culminating in your life. And it's as I hear more about your story in corporate, it makes me appreciate you know, everyone's journey. Like yeah. I understand the value of the environment that you're in is what's going to make you the best diamond that you're going to be. Oh, hands down. And I think I see you literally like, you know, growing, but I can only imagine what your uh, coworkers are being able to see because being able to be validated and have a, you know, have a day when you're like, Hey, I just need to take a mental day. Now, and, and Target is the environment that allows you mm-hmm. to have mental days. Mm-hmm. But you've also had the people to give you the voice mm-hmm. and to say that. Yeah. So I just think that's really, really, really awesome. Mm-hmm. So I'm curious, uh, before we get out of here, okay. there's a girl out here who has not made it in corporate America. Maybe okay. she's still at, at Teach for America. Mm-hmm. And maybe she just doesn't necessarily know what she's going to do next. Okay. Um. Who is that person that you want to speak to most? And what mm. would you tell them? And mm. which part of your journey would you like to reach out to? Ooh, that's a good question. I would say, whew, it's that transition phase. Um, so I, I think I heard two two parts to your question. Like, what do I want to say to this person? And like, at what point in time in their journey would I want to speak to them? Yeah. Um, so that transition, like when you're thinking about leaving Teach for America and you're thinking about, okay, so I'm going to go somewhere. I don't know where, I don't know what, I just know that, or even if it's not Teach for America, whatever the career choice, um, where it's like, I know that this is not it. This is not it for me. I'm not being fulfilled emotionally, mentally. I'm not being challenged in whatever capacity that you're trying to be challenged. Um, or just maybe you're just burnt out. And it's like, you know what? The challenge is, is not where I want to be right now. I say, take the time. And the and the and the energy and the effort to to research um, to 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 look. I mean, it sounds so I, I, like almost fluffy, but genuinely, like look look inwardly. Like, what actually fulfills you? Um, and if you have support, if you have any kind of familial help, a friend that'll like. Honestly, I say take the step. Because sometimes you need to, like, jump off that cliff before you can realize, like, oh, sh- I can fly. Oh, I know that sounds so, like, <laughs> but generally, like, I mean, I, I pivoted, like, hard to something. And, and, I mean, I know you haven't given yourself enough accolades, but I am beyond proud of the journey that you've taken. And it, you have done it a couple of times where you just stepped off and said, you know what, I know I'm going to land. I know I'm going to land on my feet. And I think that is... That is always going to be the case if you continue to learn and to grow and to put in that energy to like to find fulfillment um, and to and to seek it like intentionally um, and yeah so it's like that transition point where it's like girl just just go just go do it don't don't get me wrong you still gotta like do the work mm-hmm. um, but yeah take the journey like j- jump off the cliff you'll land on your feet. Do something big. Do something different. And it's always easier to do it when you're younger. Mm. It is. I, I think I think about where I am now. And if I was a teacher, I would hate to say it, but teaching is consistent. It's, it's a constant paycheck. You know, you know what you're going to, okay, 
with the kids. You don't know what you're going to get every day, but <laughs> you have an idea. You know what's under the umbrella. And I, at what, 25, I was like, I can't do it. And I, I was quitting no matter what, job or no job. <laughs> I just knew that that wasn't right for me. And um, I've seen so many other people just do huge pivots in their career and their path and their journey. And, and people who, who did Teach America that thought they were going to do med school and decided not to. They decided to continue on their teaching journey. So there's just so many ways like life can take you. you got to make the decisions that are right for you. And if that means big and something big and scary, if you have the support, not even if you have the support, if you can do it, if you can push yourself to do it, just do it. Mm. Thank you so much. <laughs> that is literally <laughs> a lot of words to say. What Nike said, just do it. <laughs> right? No, it's it's crazy. Yeah. Their branding is amazing because I find myself just wanting to be like, just do it all the time. Mm-hmm. But thank you so much for yeah. sitting with me and having this conversation, y'all. I gotta get Agu to the airport because she's <laughs> literally dedicated this hour to me, and I said I was gonna make the most of it. So mm-hmm. thank you again. Thank you guys for listening to the Work and Play podcast. And as Agu said, just do it. If there's something you're considering. Or if you're at a crossroads in your life, then listen to your heart. Do your evaluation. It's not love. And mm-hmm. just do it. Yeah.